When something is so pervasive in our everyday lives, it can cease to have a sense of wonder, especially if it's a technology that was developed long before we were born. Aircraft, television, automobiles, and photography fall firmly into this category with their history and invention made uninteresting and irrelevant by their ubiquitous nature. One technology, which has been around in one form or another since the late 1800s, allows us to capture and store for later playback vibrations in the air, which are audible to our sense of hearing. Almost from the beginning, the ability to playback what can be heard by the human ear has been used for its revenue-generating potential to bring us music, drama, news, and even this podcast, by using the technology of sound recording. The Dilettante, a Ferrochrome podcast. The concept of sound recording, similar to how an image is stored as a photograph, goes back farther than one might assume. While some may argue that written orchestral scores might be considered the first efforts at storing music, they are essentially instructions on how musicians may reconstruct a composition but, strictly speaking, are not a reproduction of the sound waves from an original performance. The first device to record sound waves was invented in 1857 by Edouard Léon Scott de Martinville. Through the means of a vibrating stylus writing on paper layered with soot, an analogue of the sound wave could be traced. Unfortunately, while this gave a visual representation of an undulating sound wave, there was no way to play back the sound. It wouldn't be until 1877 when a mode of playback was invented. The concept of sound recording and playback is attributed to French inventor and poet Charles Cross, who while submitting his proposed method to the French Academy of Science, didn't actually construct a working model to do so. That would fall to Thomas Edison, who the same year invented the wax phonograph cylinder and acquired a patent the following year in 1878. The Edison wax phonograph cylinder, commonly called a record back then, became a consumer sensation of the next 20 years by selling music recordings in the millions by the beginning of the 20th century, with many parlors equipped with the phonograph system which had the cylinder turning under a playback stylus, sometimes by hand, sometimes by a wound-up spring, with the resulting vibrations amplified through an acoustic horn. While the fidelity, a term which refers to how much the recording resembles the original sound, would be considered lo-fi by today's standards, it was nonetheless remarkable for a family to gather around or dance to the original performer. But like any entertainment technology that made money, there were other attempts at competing formats, the most notable of these being Emil Berliner's gramophone, which utilized discs instead of cylinders as the playback medium. This ended up being the preferred consumer format, as it was easier to manufacture the discs with a stamping press than the time-consuming method used on the wax cylinders, with Edison eventually switching over to the disc format after World War I. The disc format with various modifications, one being recording on both sides of the disc, would remain the dominant consumer format up until the 1980s. 
Cylinders and discs were primarily a mechanical format, with grooves cut by lathes into the vinyl or wax surface itself, with the stylus later retracing that groove to reproduce recorded sound from the disc. There would be the later development of electrical formats, such as magnetic wire, or later magnetic tape. Sound recording was still creating an analog of the sound wave, the difference being that it was through a microphone, which created alternate current. This alternate current would be passed to a magnetic recording head, which wire or tape coated with iron oxide particles would pass over. The alternating current creates a fluctuating magnetic field, which orients the iron oxide particles in an analog to the fluctuating sound wave, thus storing it on the magnetic medium. This was put to military use during World War II by the Wehrmacht to allow high-fidelity playback of speeches by Hitler from locales where he was not, as a means of misdirection to the Allied forces. When the Allies finally made inroads into Germany, this technology was discovered and brought back to the U.S., where it was further developed by engineers with financial backing by Bing Crosby, who was eager to use it to pre-record his radio show once, instead of having to rebroadcast twice for the East and West Coast. Oh, Bing, did you read the latest about Bob Hope? What a sequitur that was. Yes. <laughs> no, what happened? Did he get caught taking a bet on a horse no, or something? No. <laughs> Magnetic tape could produce excellent high-fidelity recordings of sound, especially music performances, with innovations being developed in the recording process, such as multi-track recording, which allowed for perfected takes, as well as artists overdubbing on their own performance, something not possible during a live show. It would also allow for the concept of multi-channel playback, with stereo, essentially synchronized left and right channels, giving a binaural listening experience for both ears. Soon artists such as Verice, with his Musique Concrete recordings, or the Beatles recordings, which revolutionized music production techniques. Magnetic tape even migrated its way into becoming a consumer format as well, with audio cassettes and 8-track tape coexisting alongside vinyl records. In the mid-1970s, digital recording became the next innovation in sound recording by assigning binary code to recorded sound, which would allow better fidelity to the source material, along with more robust storage of recordings, as opposed to magnetic tape and vinyl discs. Indeed, with digital, sound recording became somewhat format-independent, with binary code's ability to be stored on a variety of medium, magnetic or optical, using a laser to read back the code embedded on a metal substrate with a plastic disc. This format would be called the compact disc, or CD, and by the mid-1980s had succeeded vinyl long-playing records as the dominant consumer format and would stay as much until the 2000s, where breakthroughs in hard drive miniaturization would allow for portable digital music players in the form of iPods. Soon people were downloading digital music as MP3 files from a variety of sources, some legal, some not, 
and listening to them with personal earbuds or stylish headphones. In 2008, Digital even allowed us to retrieve the first 1857 recording by Edouard Léon Scott de Martinville by scanning the stylus-written paper rendition of sound, which allowed us to hear his recording of Eau Claire de la Lune for the first time in 150 years. Now music can be streamed from a variety of services right to your smartphone, bypassing the need to actually download anything. Accessing recorded sound in the form of music, talking books, or even podcasts like this one are easier than ever. That's not to say some analog formats are totally extinct, with vinyl making a somewhat unexpected return as a niche product for the warm sound and album liner notes that only long playing records can have. Not to mention they're entrenched in DJ culture as a medium of performance. The fact that a certain recording format has an aesthetic appeal beyond convenience shows how ingrained sound recording is to our lives and history. Can 8-track tapes be far behind? The Dilettante, part of the Fairchrome Podcast Network.